Glad you're here with us. Whatever your week has been like, whatever your life is like, whatever you look like, whether you believe what we believe or you disagree, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, I'm glad you're with us this morning. And welcome to Resonate. For those who don't know me, my name is Casey, one of the staff pastors here, and I get the privilege and responsibility of bringing God's word to bear on our lives. But before we do that, I just um, got to show my appreciation for our lead pastors, Pastor Jeff and Sarah Sparkman. Can we give it up for them? Their incredible leadership, the calling God has on them, and the vision that he has given them to lead us into the future here at Resonate, what God is doing. And they are close to welcoming their fourth child into their family. So as that day approaches, continue to pray uh, for them. And haven't you just, I know Tiffany just said it, but haven't you been enjoying and been challenged by the current series from Pastor Jeff on alignment? Yeah. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, or maybe you've attended for a while, but you've been here or there, we've been in a current series called Alignment where we're talking about over the last kind of six weeks, we've been discussing how areas of our lives need to be aligned or put in order according to God's will and work in the world and in our lives. And uh, alignment is a prophetic word that was spoken over Resonate. You can see the board in the lobby out of the back. Um, But we've been in this current series, and it's been such a blessing and such a challenge. And so this morning, what I wanted to do is kind of come into that conversation and offer a practice that to help us to begin to incorporate some of the things we've discussed over the last few weeks, to put legs to it, if you will. But before I do that, because what we are talking about this morning is um, an ancient solution. And I thought, as I was working through this, I thought, what a cool thing to do. If we're talking about something that Christians have practiced as a way of life for thousands of years, why not do something else that Christians have done for thousands of years? And that is called a public reading of scripture. We do it with our psalm to begin our service, but there is something powerful when we hear the word of God read aloud and we let it sit upon us. So I have asked Brian, one of our members, to read our passage over us and for us and with us this morning from John 15. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. We'll be reading from the ESV. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. You can read from your own Bible or phone or You can simply close your eyes and hear the words of Jesus spoken over us. Hear his words to us this morning. John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, The Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Our Lord, I pray that you take my words and speak through them. Pray that you take our thoughts and think through them. Give us wisdom to apply in our lives what we discussed this morning. And I pray that you would fill our hearts with a love that casts out fear and finds rest in you. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're an avid reader or enjoy good literature, then I want to recommend a book to you by Walter Wangerin. It was published in 1978 called The Book of the Dun Cow. And it is a tale, I know, funny name, but it's a tale of two animal kingdoms. And one animal kingdom is ruled by a rooster named Chanticleer. And his kingdom is relatively peaceful, but it's threatened by another kingdom that is ruled by a half rooster, half serpent, and a servant of an ultimate evil named Vareem. And Vareem is set to unleash chaos and disorder and destruction in this kingdom. In all the world. That is his goal. Now, eventually, they will wage war, these two kingdoms. But in the meantime, Chanticleer continues to hold this kingdom of animals, this community together through a set of practices and rhythms, things that they do on the daily that help them continue to live in a way that is peaceful and life-giving and wholesome, not without their issues, But on the whole, they continue to practice this. And it was received and passed down to them. Chanticleer remembers this is how things were done. This is what was practiced. We're going to continue to do this. So day after day, week after week, and the long waiting up to this war that would be waged, this community of animals around the coop continued to practice their way of life. On All of which on the surface seems to be a complete waste of time with the looming threat of chaos and destruction in their lives that swarms around them and threatens 
their existence. Now, the book of Duncow is filled with religious resonance. That's why I want to encourage you, you to read it, because any Christian would read it, would walk away and clearly see these themes of, of life and practice and Christianity and, and the war and the, and the, the, the waging of things that are in, in happening in the world. It's, it's a great novel, and I encourage you to read it. But like Chanticleer, you may be wondering, what does that have to do with my moment life, this threat, this possibility of chaos and disorder? What does that have to do with the, the how I follow Jesus today? What does a book published in 1978 have to do with right now for me? Well, that's the beauty of good literature. It always teaches us something. And like Chanticleer, we are called to order our lives in a way that is foreign to the cultural moment, a way that is foreign to the kingdom of the world, this world that threatens God's good order and threatens to plunge it into chaos and destruction. We are called to order our lives so that the love of God and neighbor comes before all we do. And as we practice the way of Jesus, it holds a community together, and the quality of our life holds the possibility of good fruit in our lives, but it also is a gift for our families, our friends, our coworkers, and our communities. It bears witness to the will and work of God in the world, all the while being constantly threatened for a war that is waging. And what I want to talk about this morning is how we can remain in Jesus and resist this threat of culture, this way, this rhythm of life that the, in the world that opposes God's kingdom of love, joy, and peace. As we heard John 15 uh, read aloud, did you pick up how many times the passage said, or Jesus said, abide in me? Jesus repeats the word in those two paragraphs no less than 10 times. And it's the Greek word minnow. Can you say that? Some translations say remain, uh, but it means to make our home in or to dwell or to live from. And I like one translation, remain in life union with me. And here are Jesus' final words to his disciples and to us. In this constant world, these War that is waging, that we see, that we don't see, Jesus is calling us as his followers to make our home in him. Daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. To make our home in him. And in so doing, we bear witness to his will and work in the world. To make our home in him. Our mind is to be continually conscious of Jesus himself. Our heart is to be indexed to the awareness of Jesus by the gift of his spirit. And our bodies are to move throughout our day at the pace of God's work and will. That's what we've been talking about in alignment. Sabbath, rest, emotional health, healing. It's all connected with how we live daily as followers of Jesus. How we are to align ourselves with what God is doing in the world as we remain in him and resist the culture. And so for Jesus, it's quite simple. Spiritual formation or discipleship or becoming like Jesus is simple. We abide in him. We remain in him. That is how we bear fruit. And as 
Jesus says in John 15, verse 16, we bear fruit that will last. It is lasting fruit. It is a fruit that Jesus clarifies for us in the rest of his discourse and teaching to the disciples. It is a fruit of love, joy, and peace. Don't you want more love, joy, and peace? We could also say it is the fruit of the Spirit we find in Galatians 5. But you see, Jesus just isn't interested in giving you love and giving you joy and giving you peace. They're not just emotions. They are overall conditions of the heart. They aren't just pleasant feelings that come and go. They are the kind of people we are to become as we remain in Jesus. He doesn't want to give you love. He wants to make you a person of love. He doesn't want to give you just joy in circumstances. He wants to make you a joyful person. He doesn't want to just give you peace when chaos is surrounding. He wants to make your presence peaceful to others. Or as John Mark Comer, in a book and a name that you have continually heard from Pastor Jeff, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says it this way, Love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life. Doesn't that sound sweet? Doesn't that sound good? To remain in him and experience and to become a person of love, joy, and peace. But if you're like me, a detailed-oriented, pragmatic person, I like to know how. That's great. Remain in Jesus. How do I do that? Right? That's the question. How do I abide or remain so that fruit can grow? And I love that you're like me. You're asking that question. And it needs to be answered. And I'm going to offer a solution, an ancient solution that's been practiced by Christians for thousands of years. But I want us to pause for just a moment and ask a deeper question. Because if you're asking, how do I do that? That sounds great. I want to become a person of love, of joy, of peace. How do I do that? What's the answer? I'm afraid that by asking the question of how, even in doing that, we are running counter to the way of Jesus because we're surrounded by a culture of hurry, of quick fix, instant gratification. Tell me what I need to do so I can do it and get this. And friends, that's not the way of Jesus. He is slow and steady, but the fruit he bears lasts. So we have to already, in this moment of asking how, ask a deeper question. Yes, I want love, joy, and peace. How do I get it? And if you want it, that's great. That's good. We need to receive that and walk in that. But are you asking it simply to alleviate a problem? Fix a concern until next Sunday comes and I can get a new word, a new thing that will help me fix my problems. Because see, the way of Jesus is slow. It's not hurried. And everything in our culture is fast. We are taught constantly. Fast is good. Slow is bad. And when it comes to the way of Jesus, we've been talking about slowing down. And we have to let his words take root in us so that we remain 
and grow fruit that lasts. Or as Michael Zigleri, the professor at the Charleston Southern University School of Business, makes a really major observation and study. He conducted a survey of obstacles to growth in Christians' life, surveying over 20,000 Christians across the globe. And here's what he found as a major distraction. This is what I mean by asking the question, how? Are we already jumping on the culture of the moment that says, tell me how to do this so I can get on with it? Here's what he says. It may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. Which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. What I want to offer you this morning is an intentional, slow, but fruitful practice that will produce love, joy, peace in you. It will make you this kind of person, but it will run counter to the cultural current we constantly find ourselves swimming. Because the call to follow Jesus, this journey of apprenticeship, of discipleship, it is not about hurry, but it is about making our home in God. Every day, every week, every month, every year, we remain in him. And so we still have to ask the question, how do we, in a digital age, constant Wi-Fi everywhere, texts and notifications, kids, traffic, sports, whatever your life is like, how do we slow down and remain in Jesus? How do we make our home in him? Now, as I said, this isn't a new question, or it's not a unique problem. It's an ancient solution offered that the early Christians practiced, and they called it a rule of life, a rule of life. Now, there's a rich history to this rule of life that goes back at least to the late 200s AD, the first followers of Jesus. But it was really in 527 AD by St. Benedict, who made it very popular, who created the rule of St. Benedict for his new monastery. And today, for the last 1,500 years, Christians from all traditions all around the world have been shaped and guided by this practice, this rule of life. Now, to give you a little more detail about this idea of the rule of life, the original Latin word regula is where we get words for our English regular or regulation. And there is some debate about the origin of the word, but some scholars actually argue that it comes from the Greek word for a trellis, like from a vineyard. And so regardless of the origin, early Christians picked up on the theme of abiding or remaining in Jesus. They took it to its logical conclusion. Now, if you've ever been to a vineyard, of course, not you, the person sitting next to you or maybe behind you. If you've ever been, you'll notice that for grapes to remain or to grow, it needs a support structure. So they put it on a trellis so that it grows upward to get off the ground, create space so it can grow upward and mature and bear 
fruit and be productive. Right? On the other hand, vines in the wild that don't have this kind of trellis, this support structure for them, they can grow fruit, but it will grow and bear only a fraction of what is possible. And the fruit that it grows is vulnerable to predators and disease. And what I'm saying to us this morning is we are surrounded by a culture of hurry, of overload, of busyness, of rush, of immediate, and now. And if we don't have a trellis, a support structure, we will find ourselves bearing a little fruit, but not as much as Jesus wants for us. And it will constantly be subject to the whims and wiles of the world. A trellis, a rule of life. So Christians for centuries have said we need this rule of life, this trellis that helps us remain in Christ and become more fruitful spiritually. And so a rule of life is simply an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. The center of everything we do. Now notice I said it is a rule, singular, not rules, plural. This isn't about legalism or behavioral modification. The goal here is relationship. Don't let the, the rule of rule of life be off-putting to you. Because at the center of a rule of life is relationship. It is friendship. It is communion with others, with God and neighbor. Now, if the history and practice of this ancient thing is not enough, and I'm not saying it should be, to convince you that you need a trellis, you need a rule of life, I want to make a brief biblical case for it. Can we do that? That sound good? We're Bible people. I think we should make a biblical case for it. So let's take, for example, Daniel. He had a rule of life that helped him keep God at the center and resist the way of the world. Now, here is Daniel, right? This fresh lad, straight off, loves God, has a plan. He's planning on being into the priesthood, and something terrible happens. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies wreak destruction on his city, on his people. And he finds himself cut off, dragged away into exile to become a slave. And while in exile, he has lost family, friends, teachers, the good food he likes to eat, his own culture and language. He is brought into the foreign king's court and taught at the best universities everything they have to offer about their foreign gods and false worldviews constantly in front of him. And in an effort to assimilate him to their way of culture and life, they even attempt to change his name. And so for the Babylonians who conquered them and swept them away in the current of their own way of life, they had one goal for Daniel, to eliminate every distinctive thing he had as a follower of God and to absorb him into the values and beliefs of their own culture and way of life, to make him one of their own instead of one of God's own. Now, isn't that much the same today in our Babylonian culture? Remember, I read a quote a while ago from the professor. It may be the case that Christians assimilate to the culture, becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live. 
Friends, have you adopted the Babylonian culture we find ourselves in right now? How is that affecting your spirituality? Have you seen much fruit from that? I'm willing to bet you haven't. We must resist. You see, a rule of life provides a structure for us to remain in Jesus and resist the culture. How is Daniel to resist the power of Babylon? How are we to resist the culture of Babylon today? Daniel wasn't a monk behind walls like us. He had a demanding job with heavy responsibilities. He had minimal support from those around him. And I'm sure he had a to-do list in his life that would rival our own today. Yet how did he resist the deceptive influence, power, and privilege of Babylon? He did it through his rule of life. He renounced certain activities. In Daniel 1, we see he abstained from the king's food, which was a brave thing to do, no doubt. But he also set himself to do other practices, weekly and daily and monthly and yearly, even in exile. He prayed in Daniel 6 three times a day. It was his rule of life. My point is not that you need to pray three times a day and not eat certain food. My point is he didn't leave his spiritual formation to chance. He didn't swim in the culture of Babylon and then decide, I think I need to start swimming upstream and find he wasn't physically fit enough to do it. He said, I need a rule of life. I need a practice, a rhythm to help me fight and to resist the culture. Faith family, we can't just swim in the stream of the culture and expect to resist when we're hit with opposition. We have to have a rule. Daniel knew that attending church once a week and praying five minutes a day wasn't enough for him to resist. It didn't shape him and mold him to be the kind of man he needed to be to resist. Daniel needed a rule of set of practices to fight, and so do we. So we find ourselves in the cultural moment, exiles, that's what the New Testament says, strangers in a foreign land. That study after study demonstrates that our society's pace and way of life is plunging into chaos and self-destruction. But our mission as Christians is not to escape the culture of the world, but where we see chaos, so God's order. Where we see self-destruction, speak the way of wholeness God offers. It is by resisting and remaining in Jesus in this moment that we bear witness to God's will and work in the world. It is to pray from deep within our soul and to act out with our bodies the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is in a rhythm of our life daily, weekly, monthly, yearly to bear witness with our bodies, with our words, with our minds, We give testimony to God's good order in the world. And we can do it through a rule of life. That is what it offers us. The opportunity to bear fruit that will last so that others may pluck from the branches of our life. And as the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That there is a new way to do this, a better way, the Jesus way of living that makes us 
a people of love, joy, and peace in the world. As Margaret Gunther, a wife, mother, and Anglican priest said, a good rule of life can set us free to be our best and true selves. Our best and true selves. Who God has called you to be, a rule of life offers that to us. So to that end, I want to offer a few recommendations. And uh, as you begin to think and pray through, because I'm going to challenge you to begin to form your own rule of life for you. Yours will look different than your spouse. It'll look different than your aunts or your uncles or your grandma or your grandpa. And we're going to talk about a couple of considerations, some things I want to put before you. But before I say that, I want to say this as a staff pastor, something Pastor Jeff has uh, reiterated to us as a staff. This is not a fad for us. This is not a season of something we're talking about, and then you might hear a year and a half later. This is going to be a way of life, a model of discipleship for us. Health, wholeness, healthy rhythms, Sabbath, rest, good relationships, excellent work. Everything we do bears witness to the will and work of God in the world. This isn't a fad that's going away. We're going to keep talking about this. It's something we want to make a part of our discipleship here, the way of Jesus. But also know that if it's not going away and it's not a fad, just know that our pastoral staff, your lead pastors, myself, we're figuring this out too. We're being called by Jesus to explore this, to be challenged in this way, to follow after him in the areas that he might be working in our life, to bear fruit, to become people of love, joy, and peace. So with that said, I'm going to offer three recommendations, okay? Three recommendations. Now, if you don't write all of these down or you can't remember them, I want to point you to a resource called practicingtheway.org. Practicingtheway.org. It's going to have these recommendations and others that will help you begin to form your way of life, your rule of life. First, remember that a good rule is a working document. A good rule is a working document. Like life, it's dynamic, not static. And so life is a bit of a moving target, a hit or miss. Things change. Our schedules change. And so what happens is in those times, we need to maybe review and readjust our rule of life, the document that helps us govern and walk at the pace of love. Margaret Gunther, the second half of that uh, quote from her, she says this, it is a working document and a kind of spiritual budget. And all you CPAs and number of people said, amen. Not carved in stone, may not like that, but subject to regular review and revision. It should support us, but not constrict us. So for example, if you're sacrificing healthy relationships with God or others in order to accomplish and check off your rule, then the version of your rule has ceased to really serve you to love God and others well. And you may need to revise it. Now, in my own rule of life, one area that Jesus is leading me in with my healthy relationships is practicing empathy. I have learned through prayer and reflection and conversation and personality study, I am a type one, and type ones struggle with empathy. Okay, just forewarning everybody with your problems, come into Pastor Casey. (laughs) May not be the best idea, but I'm working on it too, okay? So you can maybe give me the opportunity to grow in the way of Jesus through empathy, okay? (laughs) But I have learned that I am not great at empathy. 
And so one way, one area in my life, and I told my wife I was going to use her as an example. She is hardworking, sacrificial, loving, and supportive. She works so hard. She works five days a week as a school teacher in a classroom with overcrowded kids in the middle of a pandemic with parents complaining from one side of the aisle to the other. She has to put up with all of that and then come home and be a wife and a mom. And some days, it's too much. So she comes home to me, her support. And she wants to tell me all about it. Guess how Casey responds. <laughs> right? I'm working on empathy. Because my immediate go-to is, how can we fix this? What do you need from me? Can we just, like, that's so great. I'm so sorry, honey. It just, you know. And inwardly, I'm like, God, just suck it up. <laughs> right? That's a type one. That's an idiot. That's... Struggling with empathy. Just deal with it. And the problem is, she's a type one too, right? So while type ones struggle with empathy, we want it when we need it. So, but my rule of life right now, what Jesus is calling me to in the rhythm of my life daily, weekly, monthly, is to practice empathy when someone comes to me and says, I'm having a real hard time. And saying, I understand. And I feel what you're feeling. Practice empathy. If your rule of life is not under subject review through the times and seasons of your life, it needs to be. It's not static. It's dynamic. It's a working document that through conversation with God and others, you revise it to hear what the Spirit might be saying and leading you to grow in. So remember that a good rule is a working document. Two, consider the season of life and stage of discipleship. Maybe you're a new follower of Jesus and you're just learning about practices we've been talking about for the last six weeks, Sabbath, silence, and solitude. Don't copy someone who's 5, 10, 20 years down the road in following Jesus. It's not going to go well. Just take the next step, the act of obedience in your journey, whatever that is. And if you need help discovering what that is, ask your small group leader. Ask one of your pastors. Ask the person sitting next to you. Ask your spouse, a friend. They will help you discover what the next step is as you consider your stage of life and discipleship. If you have little kids, I want to say this, because we have lots of little ones back there. I would know. Go easy on yourself. Go easy on yourself. And remember that children can serve as a monastic bell in your life, calling you to prayer, calling you to dependence on God every day to help shape you and remind you your time is not an, your own, but it is a gift from God to be used. If you don't know what a monastic bell is, it seems kind of self-explanatory, but it is a bell that was rung in monasteries, and it was a call to prayer. So whatever the monk was doing in that moment, it didn't matter if he was transcribing a letter or dictating something or plowing in the garden. If he heard the call to prayer, he stopped and began to pray. So if you have little kids, let that interruption of mommy, 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 daddy, 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 be a call to prayer for you. Take a deep breath. Invite the goodness of God in and pray a blessing over your kid and you. Let it be a call to prayer.
I'm practicing that right now. Just this week, I was with my daughter, been watching her. Our schedule and season is kind of crazy right now. So my working document, my rule of life has had to be shifted. We don't have childcare. Things have been shifted around. I'm in school, pastoring, a lot's going on. And I'm watching my daughter multiple times a day, which I absolutely love. But my wife comes home and I'm saying, you've had a long day. Listen to my day, right? Empathy. <laughs> but just the other day, we were having uh, lunch and she's saying, she knows a few words. I'm so thankful she knows how to communicate, even if no one else knows what she's saying. I like to think I know what she's saying. And, uh, but she can say, eat. So she's ready to eat. She's lunchtime. Eat, 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 eat. Okay, let's get to something to eat. So I start, kind of have our list out, said what we're going to do. And I say, all right, let's start with the healthy foods, see if we can get her, you know. All right, blueberries, no. All right, strawberries, no. Banana, no. All right, so already my frustration level is starting to rise. Okay, in this moment with my 18-month-old. And I'm like, all right, well, we'll switch it up a little bit, give, give a little bit of something. All right, um, we'll, we'll try something else. Um, all right, how about some chicken? We'll, we'll get you some No, you know, uh, no. Okay, yogurt? All right, no. All right, it is rising in this moment. Eventually, it gets to a scream. And I'm at the end of my rope. I'm like, I'm about to just squeeze a can of syrup on the table, and you can just kind of go to town for 20 minutes. <laughs> And daddy's going to go in the bathroom, all right? So, but in that moment, she's refusing everything, and I don't know what to do. I pause, and it was my monastic call, my monastic bell to pray. And I invite the goodness of God in and say, I have a beautiful daughter. Thank you, Lord. She is healthy and whole. She is loved by me, her mom, and you. Now, please, help me know what she wants to do. We circled back around, and blueberries, it was, <laughs> along with some other stuff. But it was my monastic bell. So if you have little ones, let that be a rhythm, a call to prayer, independence on God. If you don't have kids, then just know maybe your boss, your coworker, your roommate, whoever it is, can be a call to prayer for you. It can be a moment in your day to throw yourself at the mercy of God. So consider the season and stage of discipleship. The last piece of advice I want to give you this morning is start small and slowly. Start small and slowly. As if with creating any new goal, it's tempting to overreach and start like a monk from the day one. That's a bad idea. That's for all you type 1 Enneagrams out there too, okay? Myself included. We don't want this to be like a New Year's resolution where you started the same resolution over, ever, over every year for five years in a row. We want this to be lasting. We want it to bear fruit that will last in your life. So start where you are, not where you think you should be. Don't set unrealistic goals. It can leave you disillusioned or discouraged. But make it enjoyable goals that move you to become like Jesus. Start small. Resonate Life had a prophetic word, and I can't remember if it was last year or maybe the year before. Don't despise small beginnings. Start small and slowly. As Walter Adams says, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Now, in a rule of life, there are multiple categories 
from like this sheet, which everyone is going to get today, a rule of life chart. I am sending you home with homework. How about that? A rule of life, something for you to consider, picking a category. And it usually considers things like what we call spiritual disciplines, um, prayer, scripture reading, silence and solitude. But it applies to the whole person. So there are categories like mind and body, emotions, relationships, work, rest, money, so on and so forth. A rule of life sees every ordinary life, every day, ordinary life as an opportunity to remain in Jesus and resist the world. Or as Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says, the obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary is that it is made to be a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. So begin small, but let the life of God flow into your mind, your body, your emotions, your relationships, your work, your rest, everyday rhythm and rule of your life. Now, if that fills you, uh, these recommendations and the idea of looking at this chart gives you anxiety and says, how in the world am I supposed to do this? I want to remind you one more thing. You already have a rule of life. You're operating and swimming in a rule of life right now. The question is, what kind of rule is it? Is it making you to become a more person like Jesus, a person like Jesus, a person of love, joy, and peace? Or is it sowing disorder and chaos and stress and anxiety and overload in your life? You already have a rule. Just consider revising it, starting over, throwing it away if you need to. But start small. Now, remember Daniel. I said that he needed a rule. He had a rule. And we said that rules help us abide in Jesus, but they help us resist the culture. In so doing, we bear witness to God's will and work in the world. Here's what Daniel 6, 26 and 27 says. This is the king speaking about Daniel's rule of life, the action that happened after he was thrown into a line of dens, a den of lions. He comes out. God spares him, and his rule of life bears witness to God's wonder and work, his will in the world. And here's what the king says. I issue a decree that every part of the kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. That is our mission. That our rule of life shapes us into a unique people from whom the life of God flows in us as we declare to the whole world that Jesus is Lord. And as we encourage others, individuals, more and more communities to follow this new way of life, this better way that makes us into a people like him. So, As you leave today, when you go through the doors, if you're interested, and I hope you are, pick up a rule of life, this chart, and begin to work on it. Pick one thing, and here's what I want to see. Here's what I am challenging you to do this week. As a starting point for our church, I want you this week to focus on silence and solitude. In a world of chaos and hurry, news media and Wi-Fi and updates and constant alerts, Silence and solitude. A.W. Tozer commenting on Mark chapter 6 and Jesus' own practice of silence and solitude. Here's what he says. Very few of us 
know the secret of bathing our souls in silence. It was a secret our Lord Jesus knew very well. Let it be a rule in your life. Silence and solitude. Practice it. Find a way to practice it. Maybe you need to ask your spouse to help you identify a moment, a time in your day, in your week, to practice, a sil- practice silence. I heard last week we did two minutes of it together. I'm not going to ask you to do that again right now. And I heard I was going to be blamed if it didn't go well. But I think it did. But I think it went well. And I want to encourage us to begin that small step to incorporate silence and solitude, the way of Jesus, into our rhythm, that we can see how even that shapes us to be a people of love, joy, and peace, and that resists a culture constantly in the hurry. Finally, in the book of the Dun Crow, Chanticleer and his fellow animals continue their practices, even with the threat of danger. Even when it seems a complete waste of time, and what I wanted to say to you, a rule of life, this Jesus way is not a waste of time, but it will bear fruit that will last if we practice it. It won't be just seasonal. We will see it in every season. No matter where we are, it will be fruit that lasts. Because as he says in John 15, apart from him, we can do nothing. Amen? Let me leave you with this, the rule of Benedict. As we go forward in our life, as we go forward today, this week, as we go forward in our life and faith, our hearts will expand and we will run the way of God's commandments with unspeakable sweetness and love. I pray that be true for you, that you will run with God's commandments in a way that is full of unspeakable sweetness and love this week. And let it begin through silence and solitude. It was a secret our Lord knew, and we would be wise to follow it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much. I have this morning tried to articulate what I feel um, you saying to me and what you're doing in my heart, what this has um, meant to me and how it has helped me practice the way of Jesus, your way, better. And it is making me a different kind of person. And so, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to share. And I pray your blessings over your people this week. Oh, that you would go with them and keep them. Let your face shine upon them. You be gracious to them as they follow you. And give them peace this week. And we ask it. In your Son's name, our Savior, Jesus.